Hey there, I'm Joanne Tambrakis, and this is Marketing, Mindfulness, and Martinis. Unfiltered conversations, or as I like to say, opinions shaken, not stirred, on what's changing and what's not in business and in life as we enter into the next normal. So pour yourself your beverage of choice, and let's get to it. My guest today is a media entrepreneur, a brand reinventor, a keynote speaker, and micro-influencer who works at the intersection of reinvention and dreams. She is an award-winning editor-in-chief, having helmed four national magazines over the years, including more Marie Claire and Redbook. She has interviewed countless influentials and celebrities from Michelle Obama to Mindy Kaling and received so many awards over the years for her contributions to media and the causes she supports that it would take the entire episode to go through all of them. She is now the founder and CEO of the Covey Club, which is just celebrating its five-year anniversary. Welcome to the podcast, Leslie Jane Seymour. Thank you for having me. I so appreciate it. Oh, no, I'm excited to talk about it. I cannot believe it's been five years since you launched I this. can't. I actually, when I got that, when I, you know, I looked to say, okay, I'm going to do my sub drive this year. Which one are we at? And my assistant said it's five years. I was like, I had to go back and look. I was like, that's not possible. I think you're wrong. I had to go back and actually look at when I started putting things out there. And she was totally right. I was like... That went way too fast. That's really scary. <laughs> and yet it was a lot of torturous turns back and forth and mistakes and dead ends and all that stuff. And um, if you're a new entrepreneur, I God bless those people who can figure it out before five years. I This was last year was the year we figured it out. You know, it just... It takes a while if you've never done it before and you've never, you know, I was a corporate cog my whole life. And so um, it took me the whole five years to really get it. And now yeah. I know who we are and where we're headed, which is great. Yeah. And I want to talk a little bit about that, but I always like to start with asking my guests where they're from. Sure. Where I grew up. Where you're from. Where oh, where from? I'm from. I'm from, from all over. My uh, dad was in the Navy. He was a doctor. So I was born in Puerto Rico, almost born in Panama, actually. Um, then went from there to uh, Florida, then to St. Louis, then to New Jersey, then to New York. Then I went away to boarding school. See, it's longer than you thought. It could be the whole podcast. <laughs> um, then I went um, back to New York for publishing after school. And stayed there really my whole career because that's where publishing was. And once my kids were launched, uh, my husband and I realized we don't have to be in the cold weather anymore. And we don't want to see another snowflake as long as we live. And we decided to follow our heart's desire and do something crazy. And we packed up and moved to New Orleans. <laughs> New Orleans, New Orleans. This is all that fun yeah. down there. So it's crazy fun. It's crazy fun. So in 2016, More Magazine shuts its doors, oh, much, yeah. much to the chagrin of its loyal fan base, including yes. me, including me. Yes. 1.5 million women who love that magazine passionately. So, so can you talk about what that was like for you? Well, I mean, it's heartbreaking, but it's not like it was unexpected. I mean, if you were 
doing magazines, you know, my whole career was in magazines. And in the beginning, when I got into it, um, you know, my first editor in chief job, my son was a baby. My daughter was a baby when I became an editor in chief. So that's 95. And we used to gather, you know, we'd sell more every month and you'd gather in the editor in chief's office and you'd, you know, serve drinks and you'd, You'd, you know, play a gong for the advertiser people. And like, it was up, up, up. And it was, I mean, it was crazy. I used to call it Hollywood for non-actors. I mean, the stuff that we did, you know, we would go to take people on retreats to like an island somewhere. And the um, the advertising, the uh, head of advertising would come in on a horse. I mean, the stuff that people <laughs> spent money on, like, And that all turned around with the internet. The internet ate the advertising dollars. And unfortunately, the people on the business side of publishing did not respond fast enough. And they were not incentivized to. The the money was still coming from advertising. And they all, you know, it was the classic thing. They had no real interest in making sure these giant conglomerates made it beyond their next, you know, quarterly statement where they got their bonus. All they had to do is get to the next bonus check. Oh, no. So if that meant cutting the baby's legs off in order to get there, they would do that. And, and I saw it. I was in a public company and they'd cut the baby's legs off and then they would make their numbers. And then you'd go to the next quarter and you go, OK, what do I do now? How to sew the baby's legs back on? I need <laughs> I need these people. And they'd be like, well, tough. Just figure it out from there. And of course, that's not how you run a business. That's how no. you create a declining business. And um, it became very evident um, that publishing was uh, in bad times. You, I mean, anybody knew that. It was hard to believe. It was shocking. I mean, I have to tell you, you just, you know, who thinks you're going to grow up and make buggy whips and that the car is <laughs> going to come along and suddenly you won't, no one needs a buggy whip. I mean, right. you couldn't have imagined it. Um, and the buggy whip business was incredible. I mean, fun and interesting. And we changed the world and we taught women to speak up and we did, I mean, all kinds of earth shattering, changing things. And it was clear that that wasn't going to happen anymore. I ran four magazines and, um, people across town were being laid off in batches of 400 at a time. You didn't, if you opened your eyes and really said to yourself, what's the future here? You had to be honest with yourself. You know, yes, you could go run another magazine, but you and there were plenty of people who did that after me. Um, and then you'd be let go in two years. So you'd have a two year stint or a six month stint or it just it was going down the drain so fast. And um, when they closed more, I was not surprised. In fact, um, many of my friends thought I was a henny penny because when I it was the third year into more, I would come home and I go like, well, this is it. This is it. We're <laughs> dead. We're dead. Because we never fit with our company was a big Midwest company that sold cooking and cleaning magazines to women. More was subversive. It was not a cooking and cleaning magazine. It was for smart, educated, subversive women. I mean, and we had a we had a small that would be you know, <laughs> circulation compared to these giant six million circulation magazines. We were one point five, so they basically ignored us, which was really fantastic because. Um, they didn't even open a magazine and read it because it was so irrelevant to their business. But because it was so relevant to their business, it was clear that we were always on the chopping block. So the day they called us in, 
I was totally prepared. I'd already gone back to school up at Columbia to get my degree in sustainability. I, I said, I don't want to run another magazine. It's too depressing. It's depressing to run a business where you have people. We had a business, um, our business manager came in to the uh, managing editor at one point um, when they thought by some miracle, the rumor was we might actually get raises. We hadn't had raises in years. And she sat down with my manager and said, I'm a single mom. I can't afford to lose my job. Don't give me a raise if there is one, because I don't want to be put on the chopping block. Wow. Then, you know, you have a cancer. Yeah, that's a cancer. And so I said, it's going nowhere. What can I do? And it's too depressing. All I was doing was asking people to do things for free or firing people, or it was just horrific. So I said, let me get out of here. And I went back to um, something I had done in my 20s, which I wanted to be a marine biologist. And I'd left that and um, got myself into um, the sustainability program at Columbia. I was loving it. It was one course at a time. Of course, it was taking a long, long time. <laughs> and because um, I, I tried to do two courses and while I had a full-time job and I told my husband, I'll put a gun to my head if I do that again, just one, but it's slow. It, was t- it took me six years to get my degree, but they pulled the plug a couple of years too early. And so... Um, I had to decide what I was going to do next. And the, the readers um, for more were very angry. Um, there was nothing for them. There was nothing that was intelligent and smart and spoke to women 40 plus. So they came to me and said, do something else for us. And I was in the process of getting my sustainability degree, but I had a couple of years to go before I could finish. So I was like, okay, I don't know what that is, but I'll try it. I'm a good researcher. I gave them a uh, survey 54 questions, 627 filled it out to the end. If you're a researcher, you know that's impossible today. No one fills mm-hmm. out more than two questions. They really wanted this. I have people in Covey now who um, started with me back then from wow. that note and encouraged me. And um, I launched Covey Club off of their desires, literally. I didn't know what I was doing. I thought I was going to be an online original publication don't laugh. Weekly. 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 How insane was that? First of all, I mean, paying for all this stuff weekly. I mean, I didn't know anything about the finances. It was, I was, I was a a bumbling idiot. I took my severance pay. (laughs) Anyway, I quickly ran out of money and I realized I can't do this and pivoted more into the club part of it. Cubby Mm -hmm. is a small group of birds. And the idea was to gather women the way that a magazine does. It's the same concept. In fact, I brought it to my bosses, but of course they didn't want to, they didn't want to do anything different. They were incentivized financially not to do anything different. And, um, but I said, this is a community of women who still want to get together, who still, why can't you take what we do in print and make it come alive? And the technology was there. We can meet, we can gather. Um, There's, they there's just so much that could be done when you go across the technology gap. Anyway, so that's what Covey became. Um, and we leaned into the club part of it. And then the um, pandemic hit and we really leaned into the club part of it. And I just started doing the things, Joanne, that I love to do. I love to teach. I've been an adjunct professor before. Um, I love to connect women. I am an insane connector. I find I can't explain to you why I get a jolt out of it, but I do. There's nothing that makes me happier than sticking people in a room together 
and finding out two of them went out, you know, got, got went to business together. Another two are best friends. Another, I suck at romantic relationships. I cannot make a romantic connection for anybody. <laughs> I just but never, ever happens. I'm great with business and friendship. And so we've made that into what Covey Club is. And now what we figured out during the pandemic through studying our audience and studying our consumers um, was they said, this is what we do that's magical. We hold a space for you while you figure out what's next. I can't Mm. tell you what your reinvention is. I can't tell you what to do, but I can put in front of you experts in every area that you might need. And I can connect you to women who do what you want to do who do what you don't know you want to do yet and who want to help you get there. And by everybody helping each other, we get there. So the the interesting thing that you find out is you would think that reinventing with strangers is odd or scary or weird. And what we discovered, actually, it's the magic. Because when you come together with strangers who are like-minded, who are doing what you are trying to do. First of all, you're all in the same boat. You're all struggling together. And they are willing to accept you as you are today, not as you were in the past. And what you have to realize too, is that change is very threatening. People don't like change. Even if you like change, the people around you don't want you to change. It's threatening to them. It's threatening to friends. It's threatening to family. How are you going to be... If you no longer have this job you hate, how are you going to be if you no longer in a relationship you don't like? How are you going to be? We don't we would rather take what we know and live with it than the unknown. That's just how the human the human mind works. Oddly, when you come into something at Covey and you're with women who've never met you before and you can come in and say, yeah, I was a banker, but my real interest is I want to be an author. And they're like, okay, no one's sitting there going, but you've never written anything before. And you've only, you know, you've only done numbers. What? There is a open door that happens when you get together with people who can see you in a new way. And it's magic. It's totally magic. I see people come in who are floating, who are frustrated, who are treading water, who are lost. And it takes about, for a lot of them, it can, for somebody who has no idea, like just knowing they're lost, right? Mm-hmm. All the way through to, oh my God, I can't believe this is happening to me. And we have the testimonials that, you know, I'm on my way to what I want. I'm doing contracts. People are offering me things. I can't believe it. I don't even know which one to take. That's about two years. It's not a five minute travel and you have to put some effort into it and you have to be willing to listen, connect, talk, ask. And most of all, and we have a great piece on the Cubby Club site about this, the number one um, lesson that we've learned um, to reinvention is being willing, be willing to start at zero, which is very hard if you're an expert and you are a um, very accomplished older women like we are. That's the joy of it. Once you get into it and realize that not knowing is part of the fun of it and falling on your face is part of the fun of it. It's scary for those of us who have spent our whole life running away from not knowing, right? That's been our, <laughs> the key to our success. 
It's true. And You're yet, absolutely right. Yeah. You have to come at it as a novice. And if you do and you open your eyes that way, things will happen. I, I really love what you said before about often when you're going through a change like that, it's you really need different people around you. Having someone who has reinvented more than once yes. at this juncture and God knows what's going to happen moving forward. But um, because now I've decided that, you know, you just never know when you're going to reinvent again. Right. But people do tend to look at you in a certain way and they don't necessarily want you and it's not in a bad way, but they don't necessarily want way. to, they don't want to see that change because maybe they're afraid to make the same change. Um, it's, and until yes. you've gone through it, it's, it's, um, you can't really explain it. And it's, for me, it was a little surprising at times. The first time, the first, well, the first time I reinvented, I was really young. So I guess it shouldn't, didn't surprise me as much, but, um, it's such a true statement. And I don't think everyone's prepared for that because you assume that the same people that have supported you for so long will continue to do so. It's threatening. Change is threatening. You know, it just think about, um, you know, the smaller thing is getting your, you know, a new computer, all the things that you have to reset up. It's like, oh my God, where's my, I knew my password. Now I got to start all over. Where is that program? Oh my God. You're a new computer. If you're going to, you're a new computer walking into the lives That's of a great people analogy. who just open you up and start working with you. Right. Well, it's just cause I spent two two weeks of hell getting a new computer. So let me tell you, that's why. <laughs> but um, if, it, you know, the old, the comfort of you just open your computer and you start typing because it knows you and it goes right to your passwords. You are suddenly throwing all these roadblocks and they're like, oh my God, where did I put that file? Holy crap. I thought you had it. Oh no, you don't have it. I don't know where it is. You know, it is very threatening. And people, you know, the, the, stasis point of the human condition is we like to find a rut and a groove and stay there. Mm -hmm. And um, it's comfort and just, it's disruptive to, to change. And when we find our little groups, also you have to remember that sometimes our groups are based on the fact that everybody's unhappy but no one will change. So we can just come and complain. We meet the thing that bonds us sometimes is the complaining about lack of change. Right. So now if Joanne goes and does something about whatever that issue is, her job, her family, her kids or whatever, she, she makes a change over there and she comes back and goes, wow, my life has changed. I'm like, I don't have, I don't have to complain anymore. Now, the four of us who've been sitting around, we're like, oh, crap, do I I have to do something now? Like, oh, my God, happiness is over there. She did it. And I'm sitting here unhappy. Like, now, what does that say about me? I'm a loser. I'm not, you know, so it's I don't want you to change because that that not because I don't love you. It's just it can threaten me. And it's not conscious. I don't think it's conscious. I think it's unconscious. We want to stay in the comfort of what we know. No. And I think even for the person, I mean, I've been there too, where all of a sudden I, you know, what you said about the complaining part, I can remember being like, I don't want to hear you complain, either do something. Like I used to want to hear you complain because I was complaining too. Yes. But now I really don't want to hear that because either do something because I did something, you know, and, That's right. or it's just not interesting me to, to listen to complaints like that. 
Yes. So, so now um, I know this has been targeted for midlife women, but yes, it seems to me that we're kind of entering this phase in the world where um, everyone's going to reinvent multiple times oh, and, yes. and not necessarily wait until they're midlife. So That's are you right. seeing that change and or are you even seeing men come, want to, I guess you, it's really a woman's group there, right? I'm asking you five I questions at once here. have to do a cubby men. It's ah. becoming... It's becoming kind of clear um, that men have a lot of the same problems. They approach it differently. They um, And we've had a, a guy or two join Covey Club. I mean, it's really hilarious. I'm like, you're either the smartest person in the world because here are all these women who you're going to learn about, <laughs> or you're really confused. <laughs> I have no idea. But um, we, so anyway, I've done some private, what I do is some, I don't call it coaching. I'm not a coach, but some private sort of um, curation for men mm-hmm. who are in the same situation and are trying their, trying to find their way out. But there's a sadness about the men that I find that is really heartbreaking. And I, I have been thinking about how to do something mm-hmm. for them. A lot of them very successful. They want to change but they say to me things like, well, you're really creative and you've always had other interests. And so you know how to do this. I don't know what else I'm interested in. So I'm mm. just going to sit here in this thing and keep making money and drop dead at my desk because that's all I know. Oh, there gosh. is a resignation and a I feel really sadness about they don't feel they, they feel like they've, they've figured out one thing. And so they're not going to get lucky figuring out the next thing. Whereas women have been, look, we've been forced to figure out the next thing. If you have a kid that disrupts your life. If you have, I mean, anything in elder care, we, women take care of more elder care. I mean, Mm -hmm. all the disruptions in our lives, we are, we are very used to disruption. That's right. Men are not used to the disruptions. They sail right through with, you know, bear. That's what, I mean, that's what happened during the pandemic. The reason why women have been thrown back to 50, 7% 7% uh, participation in the workforce is because the men are not picking up. They're not picking up and doing what they should be doing. So we are used to disruption. They are not, and they feel a little more hopeless about it. And um, so anyway, that's something I've been thinking about because there's no reason to feel hopeless. Um, no, 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 no. It's a wonderful, if you embrace this and if you, if you look to others to help you get across these barriers. And if you do it together and not alone, you don't have to do it alone. This can be the best part of your life. I am like, I'm having the time of my life. Do I, you know, do I miss walking the red carpet with celebrity a Eh, a little bit, but would I much rather have somebody send me a note and say, you changed my life. And I didn't know where I was headed and now I'm so excited about what's coming for me in the future. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I'd rather do one-on-one. I'd rather do one person at a time, change their lives. Yeah, I love the other thing. I can, you know, I can pay to go see something like that. You know, I've no, done No, no, I, 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 always, I always tell people the only thing I've really ever missed about corporate life was having an expense account. That was a nice thing. Um, when we never had one. <laughs> I never had a good one. Joanne, whenever oh. I went, wherever I got hired, they were always cutting. 
They were yeah. always cutting. I came after the person who had the big, huge account. I don't know <laughs> what it was. I had this horrible, I picked the magazines I wanted. I never looked at that history. And inevitably, it was always somebody was like, oh, well, you know, you can't have, you can't pay that. Oh, you can't have that. Oh, no, we have to slash that. So you're lucky. I never yeah. forgot that. No, so, I was I was very lucky. I don't think that exists in those places these days, but I was lucky yeah. in my early days um, that I had generous expense accounts and got to stay at lovely hotels and take my clients out that. to nice meals and 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 not think about it. So that part I do miss, but I don't I don't really miss the rest of it either. Um, one of the things that I was going to ask though too was, well, actually, to just to bring up is because. I would think that even more and more people are coming towards this too because of yes. the, the, our own longevity. I mean, my mother yes. lived till my mother lived till two weeks shy of ninety eight. Oh you my know, god! This, so for me, this idea, even at and I'm no spring chicken, at this stage of the game of just playing golf and tennis all day is really not appealing oh. to me because I'm talking about decades that I could have ahead of me here if I have her kind of longevity. But that's also true for a lot of people and a lot of what I've been reading, and I'm sure you're seeing this too. Too, is how many people don't want to retire at midlife. They want that's to see what's right. happening next. That's right. So I guess that's part of it. But I'm also curious whether you're seeing some younger people gravitate towards this as well, younger women. Well, the younger people are better at reinvention to start with. They are not, you got to understand, they, they, they have always been less attached to work than we were. Mm -hmm. Partly because they watched their parents go through these horrible gyrations of, you know, I remember, I mean, I was part of the first wave in like the 80s when, you know, corporations, remember the word downsize was never used. It was like, what is that? My bosses had been at Vogue for 30 years. You went to Vogue and you died there. That's <laughs> what I thought. I didn't know anybody could downsize. Like, what the hell is that? We learned that in the eighties, right? Exactly. And that was when that was when the trust with the corporations was broken. Was when we learned when I came into the workforce. It was just the tail end of you worked hard, you give yourself to your company, they will give back to you. Mm -hmm. That was broken in the eighties, and we had to learn how to navigate that. And then you'd have companies that pretended that they cared about you until the bottom line came along and they'd ask you again. Like, I mean, that was just, you know, that was the way it was. And people were buying and selling companies and cutting, you know, just cutting people who'd been there for 30 years and just throwing them out on the street. I mean, we saw all this. So our kids saw that and they said, you guys are morons. Like, why would you... <laughs> This is the problem we have with millennials. It's not just that we over coddled them. It's that they saw us go through mm -hmm. multiple layoffs and multiple firings and multiple. And they were like, why do you keep coming back and wanting to bond with these people who are so mean to you? Like, that's really, really stupid. And so we decry the fact that they are like snails. You know, they have their whole backpack on their back. They move from place to place. They don't need anybody. They're unreliable because they're not attached. I think in many ways, they're very smart. They mm -hmm. are reinventing all the time. Maybe there's something in between where they can be a little bit more attached, but um, they are reinventing all the time. They are not afraid of reinvention. They don't have this fantasy 
that a corporation or a business or a job is going to take care of them. I think it's healthier. And I see them, you know, my son started out in advertising and now he's in tech. You know, he went back to school and got a, and he had no problem, you know, making the switch. No problem. And I remember when he was um, looking for his first job and he was having all this anxiety. And I said, what is the anxiety? What are you worried about? He said, I don't know what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. I said, nobody does. I said, in your In your generation, let's look at it like the way I used to look at nannies. Two years and you're lucky. (laughs) Like two years, that's it. Like if you can manage two years somewhere, that's huge. Like what do you want to do for two years? That's it. Because you don't know what the world is going to be like. You don't know. No one does. No. And and what we've seen. Moves faster than in our lives, you know? Well, what we've seen in the last couple of years with the pandemic. I mean, who could have planned for that? No one could have planned for anything like that. And it's completely disrupted things. And and it's going to continue to disrupt things for a long time. Um, And the, the new studies, I don't know if you saw, I can't remember who put out the new white paper all about longevity and how it's affecting the, um, the future of our children, because right now, not only do you have an agrarian schedule that's left over from our parents' childhood that mm-hmm. we live on, but if it's over half of this, the children being born now are going to live to over a hundred. Yes. I saw that. I did. I know. I forget what that study is, but it's just remarkable when you read it. And what they're saying is why is 20 years, why is all the learning crammed into 20 years? Why is marriage and having children crammed into the next 10 years when your career's taking off? And then why is there nothing? That makes no sense. Like we have to distribute this better. We have to think about it. Maybe it's, maybe you're going to go to school for five years here, take a five-year break, another five years, take a five-year, maybe we have to rethink this. This is not, this is not what we knew. I mean, when, you know, when we grow up, the reason why you could retire at 65 is because the actuary table said that you would die at 68. But, you know, <laughs> I can support you for three years. Like what the hell? Right. Exactly. But no, it's true. It's different now. We're healthier. We know more about ourselves and this adulthood, which some of the writers out there are calling adult essence is later. It's later. It's longer. You have this great period. And what you want to do is you want to have that older adulthood while you're healthy be a very productive area. Yes. There's mm-hmm. They talk about young, older. <laughs> Who thought we would start slicing this stuff? I don't stuff, know. But we do. I know. It's crazy, but it's true. And the old, old, you know, what? while you're young, old, you know, there's an enormous amounts of things that you can do. And, and also our generation does not want to be unplugged. The idea of sitting on a beach somewhere is just repulsive. Like, why would I not want to be engaged? I have all this time and the world needs help and I have expertise. And why wouldn't we be engaged? It makes no sense. And some people look after the financial crisis. They still have to work. Mm -hmm. Um, We want to work. It's not just that we have to. We want to. We love it. No, I mean, I, I like to work and I mean, I feel very fortunate like you that I, because of the teaching aspect of my life that I get such, I get to, to use my expertise and my wisdom and 
pass it on to a different generation and get comments like you said about you, know, you change you changed my life. Thank you so much. You know, you it's showed me something what you that can I do. And so it's kind of it's kind of interesting. But it's funny because I was looking at my notes here and lifelong learning was like one of the things that I wanted to bring up because it's right there in your sure. mission statement. Yes. It's also something I believe in very much. I think it's something that keeps us young. That oh. idea that we're, you know, constantly totally. learning and growing. And, you know, people say to me, should I go back to school? Women tend to over-prepare yes. and, try, and tend to lean back on education when they don't need to. You know the old story about there's a job and the requirements are listed and the guy who has 60% of the requirements raises his hand and says, take me, take me. And the woman is sitting next to him and goes, well, I don't, I like have 95%, but maybe... Maybe I need to, you know, brush up on that extra 5%. And that's how women think. We always have to be better. We always have to be more educated. So you have to be careful that you're not inappropriately leaning that way. Mm -hmm. But it is a wonderful thing to do to go back to school of any sort. In when you're older, you can focus better. You know where you're headed. And you can learn from the young people. I mean, mm -hmm. I learned more about what I was going to do with Covey from learning the technology um, that Columbia forced me to learn. I mean, my sustainability thing is a separate thing, but I, all the all the stuff that I learned in technology, because I was forced to work with 20-year-olds, they'd be like, hey, we're going to get together on blah, blah, blah. And I'd be like, what's blah, blah, blah? <laughs> I'd be like, okay, teach me how to do that, you know? And um, But all that stuff keeps you young, sitting in those classes, with those young kids um, makes you makes you young and you understand who they are. You understand what's going on. You plug in, you see things in a different mm -hmm. way. It's a, it's a wonderful thing to do. And if you have a love of learning, I will just say that Covey club happens to be a place we, you know, there are many ways to approach the world. And what I say is we approach the world in a way that we use learning as a can opener. To anything, if you're that type of person who you see an issue, you see something and you want to learn more about it and you go and you research and then you figure out what you're going to do, that's us. It's just one way to approach the world. It's not It's not the only way. It's just one way. I love your analogies. Can opener. It's a great one. So I, yeah. I, I, I think I could talk to you all day long here, but I do want to touch a little bit more about how you've expanded all of these aspects of Coffee Club. Over the mm -hmm. years, you've got Covey Curators. What else? Covey B2B, the Reinvent Yourself <laughs> podcast, which is over 150 episodes now. And I actually checked and I I think I was on episode 63. I checked earlier. You were early. That. Yeah, I was early on. And, and you're going to be around the 60s, something around that for this podcast, I think. So it's kind of great. I thought that's kind of a wild thing. But can you talk about that or what's happening next or anything that um, might be beneficial so what to we do listeners? Yeah. So what we do at Covey is um, we teach twice a week. We bring in um, experts on everything from how to get on a board to today we're doing a whole discussion about finances and relationships um, and how to keep your relationship from going to hell when you have to finally unwire what you did early on in your life, which is what I did, which was hand over the finances in a very traditional way to the guy, but now that you're getting older, you need to know what the hell's going on. Now, how do you go to him and say, hey, you know, you've been doing a great job, but yeah, I gotta oversee this. <laughs> <laughs> but we do, we need to know all this stuff mm -hmm. anyway. So it's things like that. We go, um, and it could be all the way to 
um, you know, everything, how the pandemic um, has opened doorways for women, anything that has to do with our group. We teach anybody I find is interesting. I have a guy coming up who did a film about retouching and what retouching does to society. And it's been a very big, it's a, when I was at Moore, retouching was a big issue for older women because if you retouch the hell out of everybody around there and they, they look like they're 20 and you look like you're 50, you feel bad about yourself. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's a, it's a very interesting, so we're going to all watch the film and then discuss it. What's the ethics of retouching, blah, blah, blah. So we do things like that. Then we, um, we have the podcast reinvent yourself with Leslie Jane Seymour. And that's where I talk to people about reinvention, not just the inspirational stories and it's not just career. It could be their health. It could be their body, their fitness. It could be relationships, marriage. What do you do after widowhood? What do you do? I mean, everything. But then I also give tactical. I make everybody give at least three pointers on how somebody could do what you did. I have a radiologist who decided she wanted to be a novelist. So she's a radiologist, really, really successful. Wow. And she writes novels on the side. Like, why not? Right? That's like, right. you don't have to be one thing. That's what's... That's what's so fabulous. And then we all get together and we meet. Um, we're going to have a big, um, I did a big meetup last year um, in New Orleans where I moved to. And it was fabulous. And we we got in there right before Omicron exploded. We did everything outdoors. So I'm going to do it again um, in November, uh, Veterans Weekend, uh, November 22. And we're going to make it bigger and better. So book that. Come join us for that. That's going to be, it's a crazy blowout. It's really, really fun. And, Sounds um, like it. You know, and then we get together in small ways. We do coaching groups as well. We do very specialized um it really depends on what people are interested in. Mm -hmm. And if my, you know, we do pods, which are small groups of people. We run four times a year and we match you by your interests. And it can be anything from reinvention to now we have a French pod. There's a whole group of people that want to work on their French and plan a trip to France. And that came out of just a conversation. I was going to um, say, was that was that inspired by Emily in Paris? Which yeah, you know, yeah, no, but a lot of people is, have connections to France here, which is really funny. We have a writing pod, so if you want to come and learn to write or improve your writing, or you're working on a novel or a manuscript or whatever, um, we have um, uh, partners that get together and are accountability partners. You know, if you're working on something and you need to. We, we do it over Zoom and you make it up and whatever it is, you're working on your scientific brief and I'm working on my novel and we meet every Thursday for two hours. And that's what we do over Zoom. It's like study hall for adults, right? It's a great so idea. All kinds of things like that. Those have done really, really well for us and they're self-guided. And a lot of them, they're not breaking up. They're staying together where well, there's an entrepreneur group that's very serious about getting, there's two different groups. One is getting started and then one is scaling. And everybody shares resources and offers help to each other. And then we're doing, we just started a thing called the Covey Monarch, which is our sort of take on the moth. If you know the moth storytelling yes. um, things. We do, it's called the Monarch. We are not a moth. We don't <laughs> sit in your closet and eat your nice clothes, but we are beautiful. We gather, we fly together. And we tell stories. It's very successful. We're going to do it again in June. And then we're actually going to do a trivia night. 
which uh, is also going to be in June. It's going to be really fun. So we do a lot that's virtual, and then we also get together live. And we also have a site called CoveyClub.com where we publish a lot of the writers who wrote for me for more, and a lot of our members who are writers and um, other people who come to us with great articles. It's journalism. It's not junk. Um, I have a very high standard. So, you, you know, we publish one good article a week. We don't need 100. You don't need 100 from me. Mm-mm. Just the stuff that matters. And then we have a great newsletter where I go around. We tell you about the events at Covey because there's always something interesting going on. And then um, I go around and I read everything there is for women 40 plus, And I report back to you what I'm learning each week. That's just five, five of the most important tips that I learn. Um, and it could be from anything about brain science, about health, about menopause, about the world, about women in the world, whatever it is. And I give you the links so you can explore further if you're interested. And I'm on that mailing list and I get it and I read it and I always find something new and interesting that That's I did not the goal. know about. So. That's the goal. So you're achieving that. So um, I, I don't want to take up any more of your, too much more of your time, actually. I just like to finish up with a little lightning round of questions. So sure. I hope you're game for this. Um, sure, your, I'm always your, game. Your favorite social network? I am not happy with any social networks right now. I have oh. removed myself. Um, I'm very, I think here's where my philosophy about what one woman can do. And I know nobody cares but I used to run a very funny page during the pandemic on Instagram and I was doing it to make everybody laugh. It was silly stuff, just really stupid stuff um, from the internet that made Mm -hmm. me laugh. And it got a lot of people through the, through the pandemic. And then I have to say that at a certain point I decided as one person, I have to stop supporting people I don't believe in. And I did not like the politics of Mark Zuckerberg and how he was not taking care to to be a good place and a safe place for women or for, for free speech. And I just walked away. So I do a minimal, we do business on there when we have to, we, we post on there when we have to, I don't like any of them. We have our own app, which is called mighty networks. Covey connect is a group in there where it's private. Nobody scrapes your information. It's just us. I think everything is a mess right now. And I don't like any of them. I hate to say it. No, that's I, I LinkedIn. LinkedIn is the best. I think LinkedIn. Yeah. I, I I agree. I mean, I you know I I teach this stuff, on, so I have to kind of keep my my finger in it. But I could we could have a whole other podcast yeah. session on this on that one. Something exactly. something people would never guess about you that I'm a brunette. <laughs> a lot of people think <laughs> I'm. My kids thought I was a blonde. They were like. Who's that woman in that picture with the brown pixie? And I'm like, that's me holding you. Like, I was they were like, oh, I thought that was your sister or something. Or I'm like, Hysterical. no, that's me. Hysterical. Um, I went blonde so early in my because I was a beauty editor at Glamour when they were young. I never thought I, I was very happy with my brown hair. And then somebody convinced, you know how it is. They convince <laughs> you to do, oh, just try a little highlight here and there. And of course you're a junkie. So the next thing there you know, you're blonde. The last, right. se- the last series you binged. Um, what was the last one that I binged? Cause I, I, there's so many that I love. I'm in the process of binging L'Agence, which is the agency, the French. Oh, it's fabulous. <gasps> oh, 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 yes, yes, yes. The I, family I was having... French real estate agencies. Wonderful. 
Have you have you seen it? You you know I started to and the subtitles were making me crazy. Make you crazy? But I yeah. think I think I I think I need to give it another shot because everyone's rave everyone's raved about that one. Well, so. because you get to see Paris Apartments. <laughs> oh, I know. I <laughs> and know. it's a cute family. It's a cute family. And the thing that I really love, what I really love, is the mother is no fashion model. But she dresses the way she wants to. And it's so refreshing to see somebody who wears fabulous clothing and she's heavy and she's not particularly attractive and she doesn't even take care of her hair. But she (laughs) looks so much better than we do because she's not afraid. You know what I mean? There's a yeah, there's a fearlessness and they're wearing cute, you know, um, you know, sweatshirts with all kinds of bedazzle on it. And you're like, that's a little tacky, but it's kind of cool. It's kind of cool, right? Whatever makes you feel good. That's my philosophy. And I said, the older I get, I'll still, if I feel like dressing like a teenager, I will, if that's my mood for the day. Um, The food you can't live without? Oh man, I am a snowball junkie. Do you know what a snowball is in New Orleans? Oh, your face shows me you do not. Are you a sugarholic at all? Are you a sugar person? I I love sugar, but I watch it. Chocolate mostly. When when you come down here sometime, (laughs) and I have become the expert on snowballs. Snowballs are a form of, in Hawaii, they call them shave ice. Shave, not shaved. Yes. Which is the correct word. Shave ice. Um, It's not like the snowball we used to know, the snow cone, getting it out of the back of the humor thing, Mm -hmm. which is like a rock and you would break your teeth on it before you could get to the juicy (laughs) stuff at the bottom, right? It's not that. This is like, literally, they have machines they buy from, from Japan that they shave the ice like it's snow. And then each of the vendors has its own flavors. And what you do is you combine flavors. And then, of course, because it's New Orleans and that's not good enough. That's not enough calories. <laughs> then you throw on condensed milk and whipped cream. And oh if you gosh. really want to, you can throw in ice cream on top of it. And I know all of I've tried every place in town. I have a list of the best. My I'm at the point where my husband says I should do a blog about snow you <laughs> snowballs. You definitely should. I mean, you could do a video one on that so you can sh- take all the oh, pictures. Oh, that's a good there. idea because it's so, and they are, I take everybody who comes to my favorite place, which is called Pandora's. And um, they are down and dirty. I wouldn't even want to know the calorie count. And and they're all fake. It's not, nothing's healthy in there, but oh my God. The favorite, <laughs> as I say to my husband, before I die, if I'm like crying on my deathbed, bring me a snowball from Pandora. That's my mm-hmm. last meal. What motivates you to get up in the morning? Helping women. I really, and I'll be really honest. I know my history. My mother had a lot of issues when I, when she got divorced, she sort of fell off the world. She just Mm -hmm. couldn't handle it. She had all kinds of problems. She kind of went cuckoo and I was not able to help her in the way that I wished I could Mm -hmm. have. And I think that was my driving force um, my whole life. And then I discovered that I could help women through educating them, through opening their eyes, through bringing them resources. And yes, it was probably a neurotic way to start. But as we all know, with neurosis, sometimes they work for you. <laughs> and um, it still gives me great pleasure and great joy, even though I know my motivation was from a sorry start. And it is a wonderful thing to see people change and 
the smiles on their faces when they discover what they can do in the world. And that gets me up every day because I know it's true. I also know the power of one voice and one woman, which is mm-hmm. why I say to you about my single protest for Facebook, no one gives a crap. But no, I think we all have I'm, to live. We all have to live by our own integrity. I agree. And we all have to say and do the things that we believe will change the world. And that's what I live for. I live, I live to change the world one woman at a time. Well, I I think that's probably a really delightful way to end this podcast. So since you're not on social media, where I'm uh, there, I'm there. there You can find me there. I'm just not super active. You're not super active. Um, Any any place in particular you want to LinkedIn? Yeah, LinkedIn. I'm more active. And I'll have all this in the show notes. You'll have everything in the show notes. Yeah, yeah. Leslie J. Seymour, L-E-S-L-E-Y, J. Seymour on LinkedIn. Um, I'm more active there because I think it's a more professional place. Um, and I, I think they're doing the right thing. They're not, they're not corrupting the world. And, um, we are Cubby Club, of course, is on Facebook. You can find us there. And I am, of course, I'm still on Instagram. I just don't go there much. And we're also on Facebook. Um, I'm on Facebook. I have a big following there, but I just, I just couldn't keep it up. But come to, come to LinkedIn and also come follow us at cubbyclub.com. Okay. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Joanne. Thanks so much for listening to Marketing Mindfulness and Martinis. If you liked what you heard, please share with your friends. Give us a rating on iTunes or Spotify so other people can find us and hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. If you've got a question you'd like answered or a topic you'd like me to cover, please drop me a note, info at joannetombrakis.com. And until next time, remember, whatever got you to where you are isn't enough to keep you there. <laughs>